Hey, Canoe Creek. We are in a sermon series through the letter written to the Hebrews, as we understand it. That's why it's called the Hebrews letter in your Bible. And we've been looking at the superior nature of Jesus because that's predominantly the theme of what is said over and over again in this letter. Now, mostly when it's written, we recognize that there were people, which we're going to look at today, that were falling away from their faith. They were losing their conviction, their trust to follow Jesus. And as a result, uh, the author sets up this over and over again saying, Jesus is superior in this way, he's superior in that way, so on and so forth. And uh, it makes sense, right? Because at the end of the day, if there's nothing greater, if there's nothing more important, if there's nothing more superior uh, than Jesus Christ and his authority as Lord and Savior in my life, it should motivate me to remain faithful, to remain confident, remain strong through a difficult storm, uh, through enduring a personal struggle, uh, overcoming some sort of sacrifice in my life. There is nothing greater in this world that will move me and encourage me uh, to remain steady. And, and that's why the author's bringing this up. That's why he's presenting this. And so one of the things that we've done is trying to ask three questions throughout this series because we don't want to just simply come and hear something, think it sounded good, but we want to go out and share Christ with our world. And the only way to do that is every heart uh, that is united in the church is truly being transformed, being, being moved, growing to, to do just that and to share Christ with our world can sometimes be a very difficult thing. And so we ask these three questions. Is Jesus superior in my life? First and simple question, all right? Is he superior in my life? It requires some sort of reflection. It requires community uh, to encourage us, to uh, really challenge us, so on and so forth. And the second thing is, what important thing have I made a superior thing? That is, what is it that I have made more important in my life than Jesus to evaluate that? Which leads us to the third question, what step do I need to take to make Jesus superior? It's going to be a different step for everybody depending on where they're at. Maybe it's a first step, maybe it's a returning step, whatever it is. But those three questions have been guiding our thoughts in this series. And I want to focus on what I believe to be somewhat of an emphatic point in this message. It's somewhat of an emphatic place to where uh, the, the writer is declaring as loud as possible what he wants to declare. Now, it could be just this section. Remember, we're looking at sections in section 8 through 10, chapters 8 through 10. He declares Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And it could be just at the end of that section, he has this really strong point. But we can also look at the fact that this is where the book turns. This is where the letter turns. Because chapters 11 through 13 are the point where it says, all right, I told you in every way Jesus is superior. Now, how is that transforming your faith? How is it that you're releasing yourself to Jesus Christ? So we're going to look at that emphatic point today. It's going to actually be the last verse that I looked at, wrestled really hard with this this week. I want to set us up for us before we get there, but let me just give you a general idea. This is how I'd restate what I think the emphatic point the writer makes to us. It's simply this. When Jesus is our superior sacrifice, our faith is more than superficial. When he's superior, our faith goes more than skin deep. You know, you have a medical worker show up on a scene where there's an accident, there's a lot of people injured, they're going to quickly assess what wounds are superficial and can wait. And who has wounds down to the internal organs that need to be addressed right now. And so essentially what the writer is trying to say is the faith that you should have because of the superiority of Jesus should move you internally to radically change within your life. And that's not just simply change in a moment. It's not just simply change in one way. It's taking on an attitude of change. How is it that every day I'm willing to have a, a penitent spirit that is be humble, accept where I'm wrong, 
accept a different perspective, not just simply have my own, and try and figure out, is this how I can best share Christ with my world in this moment? So the logical outworking of this kind of faith is this idea of life change, this idea of significant difference. And we're going to see that as we pick that up. But before we even get there, let me pick up a verse from uh, a chapter, chapter 6. This is before we even get to that section of 8 and 10. I believe that there's a, a predominant theme of this issue with the church uh, pulling away from their faith, and that's why he's writing the letter. That's why he says, Jesus is superior. Where else will you go for a greater message? Where else will you go for a superior sacrifice? He begins this in, in Hebrews 6, and if you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can follow my message notes there as well. It says this, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, uh, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Now, this verse is pretty simple in how it's stated. It's pretty clear. We, we make it pretty complex, but it's pretty clear. And the people who are in deep belief or deeply believe in their faith, they're starting to pull back. And why do I say that they are people who have a deep, more than just simply you know, surface level faith? Because look at what the text said. It said, they've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word and the power of God. These are people who are intimately involved with the church and with Christ. And yet, they're in a position to where they're starting to pull back, shrink back, or walk away from their faith, which is a scary thing. And what it says there essentially is they're taking what is very uncommon, what is very special, what is very holy, Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and they're making it common. They're making it not so special. In a sense, they are providing a a public display of disgrace to Christ, it says. All right, now listen to what the last part of that verse in chapter 7 says. It says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop, useful to those from whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. All right, pretty simple. But then it goes on to say, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. It's pretty straightforward. Essentially, this is a uh, metaphor or concept or idea that we can understand. I mean, in, in the end, it's something that we will do as well within our own lives. For example, my wife and I, we, we moved some bushes from the front of our house to the back of our house. Planted them. Of course, all the leaves fell off. And, and they're looking great. Take a look at them. They're up here on the screen. I mean, they're amazing. They're wonderful. Uh, two weeks went by, I said, don't worry, any day now, keep an eye out, there's going to be a new sprout of life coming out. I think two months later, I know what it's time for, right? I'm not going to leave them there. It's time to pull them up. It's time to discard of them. And, and this just makes sense. you got a bush that looks this ugly in your yard, you know, after you get tired of it for so long, you're going to pull it up, you're going to discard it. You've got a fruit tree that you plant for the sole purpose of having oranges or lemons or whatever it is, fruit that you want, and it does not produce that fruit. You're like, well, i got to make room for one that will produce fruit. Very simple concept, not an easy one. 
This isn't one that we're excited to go to church to hear about, but it is the reality that we need to hear from God's Word. So this brings us over into chapter 10. All right, in chapter 10, we, we see a very important thing that I brought out several times. I want to bring it out again today. Uh, it says this in verses 9 and 10. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Love that statement. Powerful statement because it tells me something that I need to hear. In all of my failing, in all of my struggles, in my ability, inability to provide for myself what it is that I need, essentially, hope for the future, eternal salvation, I know that even though I'm not worthy of that, uh, Christ considered me worthy. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, the godly for the ungodly. That's a powerful truth. It's encouraging. And it says here something so profound, we need to remember it, have been made holy. I love that statement. Now it gets confusing and frustrating though because that's in verses 9 and 10. But then look just a few words later in verse 14. It says, for by one sacrifice, that's the sacrifice of Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I'm like, can you just make up your mind already? You know, I like the idea of being holy, that I am holy, I have been made holy. And now you're telling me I'm still in this process. But that's the reality of this life, right? Until we draw our last breath, we are consistently leaning in uh, to our relationship with God and trying to conform our hearts to His will to share His Son with our world be, be, through the power invested in us by the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's graciousness. And so it's, yeah, both have been and still being made. I mean, there's this process involved. And the point in that, and why I love the fact that these, these two things that are happening here, which are defined by two biblical words, big biblical words, justification, sanctification. Uh, Those are the two conceptual ideas there. I love the idea that it puts so closely together because basically here's what it says. If you believe that Jesus is superior over your life in a powerful and profound way, you're going to desire to change to be like his son each and every day. When we lose that desire and that pursuit, we are falling back. We're moving in the wrong direction, essentially, is what the author is trying to tell us. When we really understand the superior nature of Jesus, our faith is never superficial. Not just on the surface. Not just for show. Not just emotionalism. But it's really moving us in every thought. It's moving us in every action. It's moving us closer to the heart of Jesus himself, which is a profound move as we'll see here in just a simple minute. But the idea is that we're being made holy in our daily lives and the natural response to understanding the gospel and God's gracious gift is to make ourselves subject to his word and not make his word subject to our opinion. That's a really important thought. Listen to what we have. We have two more verses. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27 says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I don't like that verse. 
That's one of the ones I want to just kind of cut out, right? You know, it's one of the ones that we just want to kind of gloss over. But don't we need just a very clear and direct reminder of how holy Jesus is? And when we mix what is unholy with what is holy, it's not acceptable. And God doesn't like it. I, when I first read this, and I think I was like, man, this writer is kind of an angry writer. They need to chill out and relax. But then I remember that their imagery, their concept, their idea, it's not as if it's their own. All right, John the Baptist had it first. They can say, well, John the Baptist was a little intense, okay? He needs to relax too. But then, oh, oh I remember even Jesus Christ used this imagery himself. In fact, uh, John fifteen six, Jesus said, If you do not remain in me, which means they were in him, intimately involved in him, a relationship with him. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's directly from Jesus himself. I think he says that directly to his church because he says, if the church is going to claim that I'm Lord and Savior, I need to see them actually live as though I'm Lord and Savior. And then if they're not, I want to remind them what that, what that results in and, and the problems that ensue in lives because of that. So here's, this, here's the verse that I lost sleep over. Here's a verse this week that was very complicated and difficult and painful, but you know what? It's just important that we recognize and we try to apply in such a way that it makes sense. Hebrews 10, 32 through 36 says this, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Powerful statement, a powerful image of who the church was, but what they were shrinking back from. And and it kept bringing to mind over and over again to me this thought, this question. Have we become so accustomed to fighting for our rights that we've lost vision of what it actually means to suffer. Or we've lost the will to suffer. One thing I do not see the church doing in early times through the example of the scriptures is protesting, boycotting, doing everything, fighting, in division among themselves, which right now, I'll be honest with you, some of the things that I've personally experienced and had to endure um, I've never experienced a church at a greater level of division than it is right now, in my opinion. And at the end of the day, we're dancing to the devil's tune. Because he's got us all just so hyped up over our right for what we want, for what we deserve, that the church is losing sight of the fact that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against the powers and principalities of this world, which only Jesus Christ can defeat. And it, is, and it is a sad day to see when you can be blasted for this thought or this desire or this stance that you take and have somebody from the same claim of faith blast you in a polarized way for the opposite idea as well. 
And it's what we see happening and going on consistently. And it's such a sad thing to see. Listen, just a quick reminder. This is the main point. When Jesus is our superior sacrifice, our faith is more than superficial. Now, with that in mind, my greatest concern for those desiring to remain faithful in our Western context and mindset is that we've made it a practice to mix the precious blood of Jesus Christ with what is common. Uh, for many, they try to take two compatible kingdoms and make them compatible. The United States of America and the kingdom of God are two radically different things. One began and will end, and the other remains forever. Presidents come, presidents go, but Jesus Christ will never end. He will always be the authority over all of the universe in this entire world. And yet, sometimes I see us mix what is holy with what is unholy and get those two mixed up. And I get it. I know, listen, I've even thought it myself. But you know what? America's provided such great opportunities for people. You know, America is special in the plan of God as if there's some sort of superior nature within our country over every other country that's ever existed, as if over the last several thousand years since one of the most uh, monumental moments in the history of all time, that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the next most monumental moment of all time will be when he returns, that our little 200 years in that scope of things is something special in all of the scope of what God is doing. And to think that way is to have a superior nature and to somehow assert our rights over this or that or that person or this person, which does not lead us to amplifying and glorifying Jesus Christ, which is the most essential thing a Christian is called to do in making him Lord and Savior of their life. Now, I'm not saying that things pertaining to our country are not important. I'm not saying that things of injustice are are not important. They absolutely are. I'm not saying that the various things within the systems that we experience in this world and the political issues of this world are not important. I'm not saying that the issues of sickness and virus and all of that within our community is not important. I've said it's important for the last three to four weeks, but just as I've said for the last three to four weeks, let's not make an important thing a superior thing. When we make what is important superior, we replace the only person who has a solution to it. Because there is no political system, there is no humanitarian plan, there is no scientific rule that's going to fix the mess of this world. There's only one, and it's Jesus Christ. He's superior to all other things. And when we take something that's important and we mix the two together, we're doing exactly what we're being warned as a church not to do right here in this letter written to the Hebrews thousands of years ago. Ask yourself this question. I, I pray that maybe some sort of application comes in this. I can't perfectly apply this to your life. It's just going to be you working it out with the Holy Spirit. But ask yourself, have you been spending more time trying to convince someone of their need to see as you do politically 
or trying to convince someone else of what your mindset is on mask wearing or not mask wearing, which one's right or which one's wrong? Have you spent more time doing anything like that rather than just simply loving people through an attitude of sacrifice and suffering to know who Jesus Christ is? Because he's the only person, he's the only one who can fix any individual's problem and this world's problem. Now, as I said, I can't perfectly apply this to your life. Only you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, can do that. But let me at least try to set each and every one of us as the church on the right track. As you think about the idea of suffering and sacrifice that we see, this church was so joyfully willing to accept what they were commended for, but then ultimately what they start to pull back from. As you see that, as you think about that idea in the context of our political systems or cultural issues with this virus, if your first thought is how someone should sacrifice to bend to your mindset because it's the right one, you missed the entire message. That is the predominant problem we have within our Western cultural mindset. Everybody is demanding their right Everybody is demanding that you see it the way that I see it. And in that case, I get it. If somebody's not a member or part of the church of God, they're, they're not washing the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't expect anything less from them. But from the church, God expects so much more. If your faith is only focused on getting people to see things your way rather than seeing Jesus, then your faith is superficial. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We know that it's not always easy to hear some of the hard things that you have to say. We pray that you would help us to take it, uh, to absorb it, to apply it personally, um, to really be focused on what it is that's going on in our own lives and ask ourselves the personal question of how we're trying to force our will or our desires or what we think or what we want on the people versus just the idea of trying to demonstrate Christ, to accept that sometimes we have to let go of our right and to suffer and to sacrifice in order to help somebody see uh, the reality of Jesus and his desire for them in their life. Father, help us to absorb this and above all, Uh, Help us to not just let it linger or just to walk out of this room having heard it. Let us engage with it, wrestle with it, really struggle in the weeks to come uh, so that we would share Christ with our world, so that we would keep what is holy, holy, so that we keep what is superior, superior, and we would allow it to influence and impact and and make a great uh, work in our families and our community over the important things. And so we pray this in Jesus' name.